Hi everyone, my name is Steve Tudor and welcome to the Friday Show. It's a show that thinks any blue going to the Emirates tomorrow for a half twelve kickoff on New Year's Day is a bona fide legend. On today's pod, we're previewing that tricky test against an informed Gunners and looking back on a right old battle at Brentford. And as we bid farewell to a year that for many of us required the same characteristic city displayed in West London, we will also be handing out the highly prestigious 9320 end of year awards. For all this, looking resplendent in their tuxes and only three glasses of champagne in, I'm delighted to be joined by a duo who are the highlights of any year. It's Aysan and Chris. Hi, Aysan, you well? I'm great, mate. Three glasses or three bottles in? <laughs> yeah, give it an hour. <laughs> are you looking forward to this evening's uh, celebrations? I am. We started three days ago. Something like that. <laughs> it's, it's been a. It's been. Um, how, how do I say this? It's been a. It's been a very festive few days. That's the best way for me to describe it. As it should be. As in this climate of in any time it should be, but particularly in this climate, absolutely. Uh, Chris, are you looking forward to tonight? Um, yeah, I don't have a great deal planned, other than continue to have uh, wine intravenously pumped into my body, <laughs> as I've done for the last for the last week. But uh, yeah, I think probably quite probably a quiet one. But I may uh, I may do something on New Year's Day. But yeah, I, it, it just feels like it's gone through like this Christmas period has shot through really really quickly. It has. Uh, but yeah. yeah, I've had a nice time. I've had a nice time in football wise. It's been a very pleasant experience. Well, let's hope that continues tomorrow. It certainly continued this week, although it wasn't the most entertaining of games, we should say, at Brentford. Um, but that was kind of by design, I would say. Um, I felt a bit uneasy going into this one, Aysan, because Brentford, mm. we've seen what they've done to Liverpool. Okay, we lost narrowly to Chelsea, but they threw the kitchen sink at them. Um, I was expecting that kind of game. And let's be honest, those kind of games we have occasionally wilted in the past. We did anything but though this week, didn't we? Yeah, I mean, I think we. I feel as though we've we've learned. Obviously, the the team and the coaching staff they've they've learned about what a banana skin could be and how you potentially handle mm. it. And I think that you've seen that in the particularly uh, the game management at Brentford for me because it, it really felt like with the way the result between Liverpool and Leicester had gone. Um, I think that there was a sense that, oh, City are going to turn up and blow Brentford away. But if we tried to make it, turn it into a game like that, it could have come unstuck. It was perfectly logical to almost not play dead, but to almost go, you know what? This is not a game that we want to turn into a basketball game. This is not something that we want to be, you know, super dynamic and taking loads of risks. We want to be structured. We want to be solid. Um want to be patient, move the ball from left to right. When the chance comes, take it, and then continue to, I guess, dominate the game by dominating the ball. And I've seen a lot of shouts of, oh, it wasn't a great performance. And I actually think that it was a great performance because it wasn't a great performance, if that makes sense. That we, that it shows we can play in different ways because that, I guess, and I'd love to know what you what you both think, but for me, it, it was by design. The flatness of the game was by design. The fact that players weren't taking the risks they normally take felt like it was by design. Everything was about, today is about, if we remain patient, we'll get the goal. So we don't have to be sexy. We don't have to do flicks and tricks. And we don't have to 
try and pull their pants down. We just have to remain patient in our game plan. Couldn't agree more. I think there was about three occasions where they were, to use an Andy Townsend expression, in and around our penalty area. And the noise levels just went up by 10. And it really Mm. brought it home to you. That could have been, you know, a regular occurrence. That could have been, we could have been facing that, you know, numerous times. We restricted that. We nullified that. And we did it, as you said, by design, by just taking all the passion out of the game. Um, It was a grind and it was purposeful. Um, Do you feel the same way, Chris? I do. I think it was also symptomatic of of the, the that Guardiola took Brentford's threat seriously, mm-hmm. um, and uh, you know, and the way in which they he like Isan said, the way in which he approached it, it was they were not going to be able to be as free scoring as against Leeds or as against Leicester, simply because Brentford did pose a certain kind of threat which Guardiola has not faced before from that team. You know, it's the first time he played Brentford um, um, in the Premier League. So it was symptomatic of that. And also, I agree completely. It's like watching the game. Of course, it wasn't thrilling, but we were in control. And we every time Brentford got any kind of momentum, we nullified it. So I, I, I think I think for you know probably you know for, for the for the football neutral it wasn't a, a great game because what we also did all all the all the narrative particularly from you know the the um tv uh, coverage was about could 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 the minnows brentford turn the mighty city over and that's what they were pushing the whole time and i think guardiola was aware of that that that, that, that is a, a genuine possibility so mm. so let's absolutely flatten them with our work kind of like like you say grinding football death by a thousand passes and that's what happened in the end. There was, you know, Brentford had their moments, but at no point did City play as if they, as if it was looking, as if they could give, they, they could, they could slip on that 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 banana skin. So mm. I, 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 I was impressed. I wasn't massively entertained, but it, it, it didn't bother me because at the end of the game, it was three points, and that what the, that's what the key objective of, of that game was: is to get those three points and capitalize on the uh, results of the other teams around us. Definitely. And I think something else that I think is is worth just touching upon really briefly is I think that that way of playing that we saw at Brentford, that I think we it's not the first time that we've seen City almost look flat by design, almost feel as though they're just keeping the ball for the sake of it, but ending up winning the game. And I think that's worth contrasting with Liverpool, who... Obviously, they like to start games at 100 miles an hour and they like to play at 100 miles an hour. But I've had this feeling for 18 months now through the pandemic that I'm not sure that's sustainable with the number of games, with the way that fixtures are being compressed, with the way that fixtures are being moved around. I don't know if you can have a system that is just 100 miles an hour and having to use it three times a week with 16 or 17 players, which let's be honest, that's what Liverpool do. That's what City do. You've got a squad of 25, but the reality is that 17, 18 onwards is not where you want to land. You want to get the lads Mm. between one and 16 to be playing as many games as they, as they possibly can. And I felt that watching Liverpool that basically they were a bit leggy. They were a bit Mm. like they didn't have that that dynamism that they normally have. And because of that, it gave me the impression they didn't know what to do. And and the interesting thing, and again, it's worth contrasting with City, is that we've got ourselves into this weird stage where we can kind of be patient. It can look flat, can almost look like, you know, 
they're not creating loads, but they're completely in control of the game and they don't panic because they know eventually it'll come. With Liverpool, with each 10 minutes that passed against Leicester, you could see that they began to panic. Mm. They began to think, mm. oh no, the game's not going our way. It's not, Leicester aren't giving us the space to be dynamic. We've not got the legs to do what we want to do. There's not a plan outside of that. And I think it's, I think Pep has come up with a style of play for all seasons, including the COVID season, if that makes sense. It does, it does completely. And I was going to say also that, you know, football is often a game of percentages and that, and you, you're trying to, trying to achieve the highest percentage of when you can maximize an opponent's weakness. So Liverpool do it in bursts and, and Liverpool have two or three periods of time during a game where there's a hundred percent chance, well, hundred percent less than that, because they don't always score, but they maximize their, 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 their opponent's weakness because they, they, they mug them. They, they, they attack them with such ferocity. Whereas City now just do a steady jabbing away at you. And if you look at the Brentford, the scale we scored again, Brentford, I think part of it was we lulled Brentford into a false sense of security because that, because that, the goal was a, was a magic assist from uh, KDB, which, which Foden read really well and just, and just kissed it into the net. So we, we, we'd, we'd leveled them and leveled them. And we can maintain that because in terms of the fitness, I mean, it's no coincidence either that, that, that you know, that, that City, at the moment, we seem to be suffering far fewer injuries than the other teams. And it just feels because of the rotation and the way the players are managed and the way they physically apply themselves in game that we can maintain that. And, and, and I think that's going to be, I, I expect Liverpool to drop off even further because they have one way of playing. A lot of the time, that way of playing is incredibly effective. But when it isn't effective, like against Leicester, they look completely lost mm. in their approach. And so, and, and, and so I just think that, the, and I, I don't care if other fans don't find the way we play um, particularly exciting, like in games against Brentford. What it is, is, is deeply uh, effective, but also it has longevity over the course of the season. So it, it was a really satisfying result because you can see how Pep has continued to progress with this City team this season is that we now have a number of ways of playing according to, according to who we're playing against. Well, that's what I find particularly fascinating. It's from a Guardiola perspective more than anything this week, because when we go back to the beginning and we go back to his arrival and everyone talking all these cliches about, you know, will he be able to hand it on a kind of wet Wednesday in Stoke, etc., and the Premier League's going to eat him alive, etc., etc., we have seen numerous, countless games which we could basically now you know, put on a big screen and say, look, this is how he came to dominate English football. This is how mm. Pep won. Whereas really, it's the game against Brentford what we should be showing. Because no one would have expected that back in the day. We could show the very best of City and the very best of Pep Guardiola. And then journalists who were cynical at the start may think, oh, the Barcelona way did win out. But this wasn't, this was anything but the Barcelona of Pep Guardiola. This was a very different kind of style of football. This was as English as you got. Yes, it was all about kind of controlling possession, you know, which is not a typically kind of English fare. But still, we basically got down in the dirt with Brentford and played it at their game. And, yeah. and it, was, it was a masterpiece in, in that regard. Yeah. And no one ever would have suspected Pep of being able to do that uh, back in the day. Well, I think the, he's uh, become the, the, a better coach. Yes. Sorry, go on, yeah. guys. Yeah. 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 No, 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 Aitan, go ahead, go ahead. 
I was just going to say, I think, I think Pep's become a better coach, um, even through the pandemic. I think that with all of the challenges that we faced in football in, in 2020 and in 2021, um, the most impressive thing about Pep for me is that he's adapted. He's adapted the team. He's adapted his tactics. He's, you know, I'm sure that we will discuss, um, later on the kind of the competitiveness or uncompetitiveness of city squad and how fair or unfair it is but putting the kind of jibes aside to do what he's doing without a number nine to do what he's doing without a left back to do what he's doing with a single number six with the backup being 36 years old i think that there are ways of framing city that are very lazy and which tend to revolve around Look at the money that they've spent, right? But if you actually analyze what Pep has as a squad, how he handles it, how he deals with it, again, it's a year where I feel we come to the end of the year and Guardiola is the coach of the year because he's better than everybody else. He's handled Mm. everything better than everybody else. Mm. Even rotation, I think we're this good because Pep, from very early on this season, has been rotating wildly. Do you know what I mean? Like at the start of the season, Sterling and Mares couldn't get a game. Now Foden and Grealish look like they're on the out, and it's and this competitive competitiveness or whatever you want to call it, yeah, it's working because the players who come in are fighting for that shirt. They they don't want to come out of the team when they go into the team, and that's raising everyone's level and. These are all small things that don't get picked up, picked up mm. upon because it's very easy just to point at money or quality of the first 16 players and go, well, how do we compete with that? Yeah. In, 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 in the 17-18 season, we witnessed ethereal football from Guardiola. Like we've never seen anything like it. But what's become clear, and I'm pretty sure Guardiola knew this, is that kind of football is not sustainable. No. And, and that's why, what, what impresses me most about Guardiola, like, like the best football managers across the globe, is the best football managers are progressive in that they are able to react and reinvent themselves. And, and when we lost the title to Liverpool, it was clear that, that the football we played the two seasons before, we could no longer play because it was not sustainable. So he changed, he tweaked the, the way that, that we play. And I think this heavy rotation, as you say, Aysan, is part of that strategy, is that he, he doesn't have a first 11 anymore. Um, he, he knows that players have to click in and have to earn their shirt again. And I think this is what is impressing me the most because he's now into his sixth season and Guardiola's football has changed as well as the impact he's having on football again. He had it, he had it when he was at Barcelona. He had it when he was at Bayern Munich. And now the football we're playing, the way we manage games is impacting on contemporary football one more time. And you cannot understate how critical and how difficult that is and how that, how exceptional that makes him as a coach. Yeah. Uh, that, that, that he's changed who he is and how his teams play football. Which is why Bielsa is not, in my opinion, a great coach. Exactly for that reason, Chris. You know, mm. he, he doesn't have the adaptability. Um, mm. Nowhere near on the same level as Pep, in my opinion. I don't even think he's. He doesn't even compete with Pep. I think that I'd look at. I'd look at Klopp, who somebody who I rate as a coach, and go, he's not in the same league as Pep mm. because 
when I when I look at too often with Liverpool, the when it doesn't go right, it doesn't go right because as soon as Plan A, that kind of will blow you away in the first 15, 20 minutes. As soon as that doesn't work, it feels like they run out of ideas really, really, really quickly. Um, and and this is an interesting thing. And again, I'll throw it over to you two. I believe that Manchester City Football Club are greater than the sum of their parts because of Pep. So what that means is we don't win games because of any one individual ever. We win games because the system trumps the opposition 99 times out of 100. And when I look at Liverpool, the system is not what kills teams. It's the individual quality that they have that kills teams. And if you take one cog out, so you take Van Dijk out last season, it falls apart. If you were to take Van Dijk or Mane or Salah out this season, it would immediately fall apart because they're still reliant on individual quality. Am I being harsh there? A touch, but I also, as a rule, I, I kind of largely agree with that, yeah. Um, I would say that there's certain stats which kind of contradict it for this season with Liverpool. Um, they're scoring the bulk of their goals towards the end of games. Um, it goes against what I'm seeing with my eyes. So when I'm watching Liverpool, they're playing the same way as what they always mm. do. They are just looking, exactly as you said, Asan, you know, basically 100 miles an hour from the off and looking to kill teams off within 15 minutes. And yet they're scoring the majority of the goals beyond the 70th minute. So that's where a bit of doubt comes in with me. But as, as largely, I agree. And I completely agree about sitting the system and players because we have seen in the past, and we'll actually move on to a really good example of this, of players such as Gundogan who come in and have an outstanding three months or John Stones. We wouldn't not put it past John Stones to have an outstanding second half of the exactly. season whilst being anonymous. And these players rightfully get the praise for it, but it comes down to Pep. That's because of Pep. it's not a coincidence that this happens time and time again. I, I think I would, I'd, sorry, I'd, I'd respond, I'd respond to, to, to your question there based on with another question. If you look at Liverpool, there are certain players in that team who are irreplaceable in that if they go out of the, the first 11, Liverpool are visibly weakened. Salah, uh, Henderson, Van Dijk. Who in the City squad, if you, who, who's irreplaceable in that if they're not playing, we say, shit, we're really going to struggle today. Rodri at the and, moment. I, I would but, honestly say only one player, Rodri, but that's because of their position. But, but, but I would say if, if Rodri's not playing... It's only one or two potential opponents that I would then be worried about yes. in that game. Yeah, yeah, so if, yeah. it, mm. if we were playing Chelsea or Liverpool, I'd go, shit, we need Rodri. But mm. otherwise, I'd say Fernie will be okay, right? Or Gundo can come in. And I think that's the difference is that, is that when I look at the first 11, I don't look and go, shit, then Phil's not playing, Raz isn't playing, oh, shit, exactly. you know, uh, uh, Diaz isn't playing, which I know she's quite rare, but there's nobody who, if they're removed, we become a, a, a you know a visibly weakened side, and that's because the system is greater than 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 the, than the sum of the parts, and that and it, you don't just get to that. It takes you. It takes a coach quite a long time to be able to achieve that, and that's why I think and I've, I thought from the beginning of the season. 
we are best placed to maintain not just not just not just pose a title challenge, but to maintain a title challenge, because the long because it because the system is attuned to longevity. Is if we suffer some injuries, we're okay because we have enough players who can come into into that system. And I think that that is the difference. That it is the system is ruling, uh, and and that's why the city individuals don't get the same kind of plaudits. That the um, uh, that that Liverpool players do, or Chelsea players do, or sometimes United players do, is mm. because they are interchangeable. Yeah, uh, they're not expendable. But if Bernardo's injured or got COVID, we've got someone else who can fit in, into that system. So it's that it's the whole rather than the individual parts, which is our biggest strength. That that machine like quality. Okay, and well, yeah, I completely agree. But that leads us on to something we want to all discuss today: how much of it is the system, how much of it is the strength of our squad? Because I'm, let's face it, any time City do well, we get belittled, we get demeaned, and it's always a new angle. And the latest one appears to be what Liverpool fans are referring to as cheat code um, about the size of our squad and, and the depth of our squad. And I'm loving that City fans are just owning them on social media right now by simply putting up the size of each each club's squads, mm. that we have a smaller squad than Chelsea, we have a smaller squad than Liverpool. But the quality of that squad is significantly better. Aislinn, does that simply come down to the fact that we just sign better players? We are better in the transfer market. Uh, yeah, I mean, I think one of the things, it's so funny how the overarching narrative about City just doesn't stand up to any no, level really of scrutiny. It really doesn't. If you just, even if you scratch the surface a tiny bit, you very quickly go, oh, so it's not like that at all. City <laughs> don't have a million world-class players. And quite frankly, most of the players that we sign, when we sign them, everybody goes, well, he's not very good. They wasted all that money on him. And then, you know, and it's like the 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 Liverpool have got the best player in every position on, on the pitch, right? Chelsea have got the deepest squad we've ever seen. Like it's just the 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 contradictions in how City are spoken about is just absolutely and utterly wild. I think for me when I look at what we have and where I think we have an advantage is Pep has identified a certain type of player, yeah, that he wants a lot of in the squad. And whether you want to call them attacking midfield players, you want to call them playmakers, you want to call them little technical players, however you want to characterize it, Pep's built his team around that and he's got a lot of those, right? And he's had to make compromises elsewhere in the squad, which is why we don't have any left backs. We don't have any strikers. Yeah. And so we do have an advantage in that the two number eights and the two wide players we've got a lot of players that can play in those positions and that's a huge bonus for us. And all of those players are of a high, high level of quality. But most of those players that are of a high, high level of quality did not come in for ridiculous amounts of money. And when they came in, they weren't brought in as marquee signings to change the league. They all, for the most part, came in under the radar. I mean, I would argue maybe Raheem Sterling is the most high-profile attacker that we've signed. Mm. Can you think of another one that we've signed who would, you would consider to be more high-profile than Raz? Um, so I think that tells its own story, considering that transfer was done in 2015. Um, 
So, yeah, I mean, I, I don't think that... I just think it's... I think that everything we see with our eyes is primarily about coaching. Really, it's primarily about coaching. I don't think that you can take... We've got some wonderful, talented players, yeah? But there's very few of them, I believe, that you can pick up, drop into another team, and they'll be just as good as they are for City. Um, so, yeah, I mean, I'm... Um, we're very lucky, very, very, very lucky to have Pep. And I, as we get to the end of this year, as we are at the end of this year, it's just a reminder that the, these are kind of, you know, these are the days of our lives whilst Pep is our manager. And, and once the, the world after him for City is not one I want to think about right now, I think I'd rather just continue to enjoy this thing that he's built. Um, Chris, uh, sorry, sorry, man, but Aitan said, Earlier that um, you know when when you analyse all the kind of criticisms or negativities mm. surrounding City, it just instantly falls apart, and that's exactly how I mm. feel too. And I'm sure it's the same with you. I have a little theory, and this theory has really helped me from a, from a kind of psychological perspective because it used to really wind me up when people would say City were boring, etc., or just look for a negative angle on City, um, which contrasts so starkly to the. the, the you know, over the top celebration of Liverpool two years ago or Manchester United for 20 years. My theory is this. Do you go along with it? Where it's like, as, as Stan says, these, the, these criticisms fall apart so quickly. They're so ludicrous now. They're so desperate now that you take an imaginary neutral fan, someone who supports Newport County or Wolves or Middlesbrough, whoever it may be. Now they may hate City. They may say, Oh, it's or your club FC, or whatever it may be, and they're entitled to their opinion. But they see this, this this coverage, and it has no effect on them. They just go, what? That's my theory, that it's getting so ludicrous now that even neutrals, who maybe have a, a, a negative kind of perception of City, see through it. Am I right to think that? I mean, it's certainly an optimistic approach to take, and I'd like to think that there's. A, <laughs> do you know what I mean? I mean, I'd like to think there's enough intelligence across a footballing fraternity yes, that people yeah. would say, "Look, you look, you know." I think there's a couple of things. First of all, it's the reason City are disliked by our competitors because we are so good, and 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 anybody who is strong and a machine-like institution will be disliked as a reflection of how immovable we've become. But also, what a lot of people want in sport, particularly in football, is they want the drama. They want drama. Mm. And because and 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 suspense and unpredictable narratives. And unfortunately for the wider football fraternity, we don't City doesn't give that. We don't give suspense. We don't give a lot of drama. What we give in exchange for that is wonderful football, is incredible coaching practice, is 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 a fantastic team ethic and, and an ability to, to 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 manage games. And it's up to the connoisseur of football of whether they want to appreciate that uh, or or not. If you did a straw poll, I'm sure a lot of neutrals would say they want a competitive Premier League. Mm. And I'd say absolutely, but in response to that, I would I would say okay. So where should the focus be over this Christmas period? Should it be on the oil club that City are, this dominant monster, or should it be that Chelsea and Liverpool had a shitty Christmas period where they dropped points, left, right, and centre? Mm. You know, uh, so it, it, 
Yeah, absolutely. And I think I've become immune to the um, one-dimensional, agenda-driven coverage uh, that that City receives. And I'm not, and I'm not paranoid. I don't wear a tin. I can see it. But even I was perplexed by the coverage on Amazon Prime after the Brentford game, where where as they showed the table, there was this clear funereal atmosphere <laughs> as they were acknowledging that oh, City of, oh, looks mate, like they're going to pull, mate, pull mate. away. You, you want to have a listen to yesterday's Totally Football show, right? Listen Which, to it. I listened to it, mate. Listen to it last oh, night. Oh, my days. Like, what there the was fuck a, are these people? <laughs> there, there was like a, a, there was, there was a sense that something had died or somebody had <laughs> yeah. passed away. Yeah. That, that football, you know, there was a kind of, it was almost like they were literally, they've walked into a room and they've gone, I don't want to do this. I don't want to do this. And somebody's yeah. hit record and they've got to figure out how to speak, but they're just, they're trying to keep, keep the tears in. It's just, yeah. who, who's on that show? Who, who is it? Who, who does it? Well, ob- obviously, obviously, Bory from Didsbury was, was, oh, was you're center, kidding do you know me. What I mean? Because, oh, you know, of course, a, oh in, a, in a moment, in a moment like that, you, you need, you need that kind of, the question needs to be asked about whether this is good for the league. Yeah, unhealthy. The answer, yeah. yes. The answer remains that whilst Liverpool or Manchester United are not involved in, in, in a title challenge, this is not healthy for the league. The okay. league is a, is a commercial product an international commercial product and Liverpool and Manchester United have for too long been the flagships of that product. Therefore, they need to be in a title race. And if they're not, no, something is wrong. That is basically, I'm, I'm taking the mick, but that is basically yeah. the, the prevailing attitude. And just to go back to what Chris was saying, that there isn't a title race for one very simple reason. Klopp failed and Tuchel failed. And for Tuchel and Chelsea, I said in September, in my very humble opinion, you will not beat Guardiola to any league title playing with three at the back and two wing-backs. It's just not progressive enough. You won't score enough goals. You will not get into enough dangerous positions. You won't have enough quality players on the pitch. The Premier League is difficult. It's not a pushover as a league. Like You can't just turn up, be solid, and go, well, I've got better players than you. I'll win. It's pretty clear what's happened to Chelsea in the last four or five weeks is that everybody's cottoned on to the fact that, well, if you stay solid against them, you'll find ways to punch holes in them. And that's what's happened for me. And it's just, mm. you know, um, Simon from the MEN did a great thing mm. yesterday or the day before where he basically said, if you look at the points that Chelsea and Liverpool have picked up, up to now, if you extrapolate that out across the season, works out at 80 and 82 points. And 80 and 82 points will win you two of the last 20 Premier League titles. So it goes back to that idea, Steve, that none of this stuff stands up to any scrutiny. Yeah. That, you know, we can't compete. What are you even talking about? Like, you, you're, it's not that you can't compete. It's that you're not that good. Yeah. You have to be better. You have to look at yourselves rather than so weird how well, it's not weird. It's funny how when we do well, right? Something's wrong with football. But when other people do well, it's about coaching excellence or about individual excellence. When Liverpool were doing well and flying, the Mohamed Salah headlines couldn't avoid them. Do you know what I mean? Every morning there was another headline about Salah and a record that he was breaking. And it's, yeah, 
It's it's just interesting. My my favourite example of, of what you're referring to is um, someone found um, Jack Lusby, um, a, a Liverpool writer, and the headline <laughs> from two years ago uh, when Liverpool extended their lead to 19 points. And it was like rampant Reds extend lead to 19 points, you know, unstoppable Salah and all the rest of it. And then City go eight points clear a couple of weeks ago. And his headline was, you know, is the Premier League in trouble? Is it becoming too uncompetitive? Oh, fuck <laughs> off! You can't have one or the other like that. You cannot do that. People aren't idiots. Um, can, 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 can I ask a question then? Because whenever I always try to take a rational approach to things, particularly when you're facing an irrational situation. And the media coverage of City is irrational because it seems to be so explicitly based on emotion and prejudice. So, so what I'm thinking, when I, when I try to explain to people who say, you just got a siege mentality, you're being paranoid, you know, that there isn't agenda. I I try to, I, I try to identify why I think this agenda against City, why this prejudice of coverage exists. Is it, is it anything more than the fact that, that, that so much of the media over generations is so entrenched in Manchester United and Liverpool that yes. they can't have a, a, an objective viewpoint? Or is it something else? No, it is that. I mean, it's, yeah. I mean, Steve, you know, as well as I do, that when you, when you, when you list all of the writers yeah. across the various media organizations, the high profile ones, the overwhelmingly vast majority have strong connections, if not are supporters of United or Liverpool and Arsenal to a lesser extent. Yeah. And I think that that shapes nearly all of what is spoken about or written about around City. I mean, it's 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 just not. I mean, I'm I'm I feel quite lucky because I stopped listening to them a long time ago. There was a there was a time two three years ago where. I probably could get wound up by what other people said, particularly those people because their platforms were so big. But I, I realize now that it's, this is about the passing of time. So because of what city have built our, the, the, we're, we're still in the first act of what the modern Manchester city will be. Yeah. And the media landscape and the general landscape by the time we get to the third act will look completely different. These lads will have been put out to pasture. (laughs) There will be new writers and new writers who remember Man United only as a joke football club. I mean, this is the thing is that, and it's something that I find quite interesting is that the Liverpool writers have forgotten that Liverpool were a joke not that long ago. Right. The United writers still write like we're living in 2001 and it's mm-hmm. 2021. And I think that these these things will eventually shift with the passing of time. A big thing for me, I think, is well, so, of course, social media is a huge part of it. And, you know, to look at it from the other side of the, of the coin as well, we have to acknowledge that if social media was so prevalent back in the day, then there would have been criticism of United and there would have been criticism of how, you know, supposedly uncompetitive the league was back then. I believe so anyway. Um, Definitely. But as well as social media, a big thing for me is what accompanied that, which is the boon in opinion pieces. And, you know, God love opinion pieces. I wouldn't have a job without them. But 
they never used to exist back in the day. They used to be columnists for the you know the Sun, the Telegraph, the Mail, whoever it may be. There was a handful of writers basically in Britain, just a handful who could basically espouse their opinions um, to a, to a, a wider public. Now. There's hundreds upon hundreds of them. And the leading ones, the most well-known ones, they think they have celebrity status. They think they've got importance. They think what they say matters. So you have people like Rory Smith saying, oh, wringing his hands, I think the league is so unhealthy right now. Should we be concerned? No, you're saying that as a Liverpool supporter. You're saying that in the same way as someone on Twitter would say it, and yet it comes across like it's intellectual, like what he's, he says matters. It doesn't. I think Not when he's talking about that. I but, think, but then, I Steve, think... Steve, is it... Sorry, Jason, I just... But what worries me is that what these people write it does matter because there is, an, there is an eager, hungry online audience ready to lap that shit up according mm, yeah, to what, yeah. where their the, the loyalty lies. For reporting match reporting has become redundant because we have such access to, to football now. We don't need yep. we don't need Jamie Jackson to tell us how, how the game unfolds yeah. through, through his through his his red tinted glasses. But I do actually think that there is you know it, it's it's it, the clickbait is driven by fight by, by money and so and so I think I think what depresses me the most I think I think less than the fact that a lot of these people like Delaney and 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 for example who's you know who's, who's probably the, the most wretched example what what you know these people are morons but worse <laughs> these th- these people are liars. And I think, and I think it's that that in the same way it's happened in politics globally, is the lie is no longer a lie. The lie is now a strategy to generate um, a reaction. Delaney writes to get a reaction because it ensures that he's then commissioned for the next six six to twelve months at the Independent. I think that's what worries me, and that and therefore I do think whilst what they write is trash. It is important because there's clearly, there's evidently a hungry audience out there ready to lap up the narrative that, that, you know, that they I, lay down. I, I, fe- I feel almost as though we should take a leaf out of Ferguson's book. It's funny for me to say that on his 80th birthday, but um, <laughs> never thought I'd be paying tribute to to, to Alex Ferguson, but here we are. Um, no, I just, I, you know, I think, I think in the end, right, the way that we've, the way that I look at it is we're better than all of you and you're upset because we're better than all of you. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And, be, and beyond, and beyond that, like, it's not relevant to me. I want to win titles. So I don't really, I don't want, um, I don't want to currently favor with a football writer or a media organization. I want to win titles. And if winning titles means that we're hated, cool, brilliant, then make, let's be the most hated club in the world because that means that we win the most titles. I think, you know, the kind of, the, the there's a, uh, the, the capitalist narrative uh, about how the, the era of the super club and yada, 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 that all of that stuff is lies. None of it is true. It's all complete and utter nonsense yeah. from writers who support super clubs and are upset that their super clubs aren't the biggest <laughs> super club at the table now. So now super now now capitalism is the problem. Capitalism wasn't the problem, right? When the Premier League came in and Murdoch came in and United and everybody fed from that trough, yeah? Capitalism wasn't a problem when editorials were written lauding uh, David Gill and how he'd built 
a ginormous football club that was the envy of every other big club in Europe and Barcelona and Real Madrid. They're all, they're all coming to Man United to learn how to commercialize their operations, blah, blah, blah. All of that's true, but it wasn't a problem then. It's only a problem now because other clubs are taking the model and doing it better. Mm. And it's, you know, as I say, it's not credible. It doesn't stand up to scrutiny. So therefore, for me, I'd like to go back to the football and the idea that we are the best coach in the world right now. And what he's doing with these players deserves, you know, his, the, th- the great thing is that this team, this era, it'll be judged by history. These clowns won't judge it now. Yes, It'll be judged exactly. in, in, in 10 years, in 20 years. Somebody yeah. said the other day, you know, how we'll know that this era of City and Pep is going to live long is that for years to come, when they talk about records, yeah, they won't be able to remove our records. Mm. It'll be the most amount of goals scored since Guardiola City, the least amount of goals conceded since Guardiola City, the most amount of points accumulated since Guardiola City. Pep holds. This City team is going to hold all the records. They're going to be there forever. And the challenge, not just now for Klopp and for Tuchel and all these guys, but for the next 10 years, 15 years, is who gets there? Who can replicate what Pep Guardiola is doing? Absolutely. And when they do, or if they do, then can you imagine a celebratory kind of prose in the press? But yeah, and, and which will contrast sharply with what we're getting. But we're never going to get it. We're never going to get a, a positive press. We're never going to get due praise. Pep isn't. And, you know, once you kind of get past that, then we can just enjoy ourselves and enjoy what we've got because we are truly blessed right now i will just say one final thing on on the matter which is that article which really got under the skin of a lot of city fans from that irish turd um saying that city are soulless in the headlines uh, soulless city and uh, uh, eamon, uh, eamon sweeney wasn't that's it? the one and how liverpool have won the hearts yeah. and binds of oh and my God. i analyzed that article i looked quite deeply into that because ordinarily i try and move past it and what really struck me was at no stage at all does he explain why he believes City to be soulless. No stage. It's just his opinion. And nor does he go into any details about why Liverpool have won the heart and minds of neutrals. Who hate Liverpool, by the way. Um, so essentially, it was just a Liverpool fan saying, this, this, w- this would have been his pitch if he was being truthful. Oh, editor, I- I'd like to write this week about why I really love Liverpool. Yeah, and boo, Manchester City. And it was published. In a newspaper. I, uh, I, I, I read that and my response was just child shush now. Yeah, it really was. It that, was... That, that, that literally, that, that, because it was so childish. I just thought, yeah. child, go, go to your room. You've had, <laughs> you've, you've had your moment. Now go to your room and think about what you've said. Yeah. Okay. Because it was, but, but the thing is, it's like, yeah, editor, why did you publish that? Of course, it's clickbait. Yes, every every yeah. scouse would have gone click. I'll have a little bit of that. I'll have a little bit of that. <laughs> echo, a little bit of that echo chamber narrative going on there to to, to make my Christmas period happy. I, I guess coming down to an echoing echoing what Asan says, I, I I I grieve the fact that the that football writing around the sport I love is no longer objective like it used to be. I because I because I enjoyed reading about football as much as I enjoyed watching it and playing it. Mm. But but now my 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 response is I take it as a compliment. Is is this litany of of ridiculous agendas and narratives and opinion pieces is because City are a threat and are here to stay. 
and and so we have to take it as a compliment because it's because if if we're good we're, we're always going to end up being the the, the 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 kind of bad guys and if we're the bad guys in the media it means that we're doing something right absolutely um on that note let's move on to arsenal and uh, new year's day um tomorrow as it as it stand um this great team of ours, this, this team that we've just been talking about that will go down <laughs> in the history books. Um, a simple question. How, how are, you, are you expecting us to kind of fare against Arsenal? Are you confident? Um, yeah, I mean, I'm, I'm, com- I'm as confident as I've been about most of the games that we've played this season. I want to ask you both something because we, we haven't really touched upon it in the Leicester game or the Brentford game. A lot of talk about missing Rodri. Um, Personally, and I'd like to know whether I'm right or I'm wrong, I felt that almost a bigger miss than Rodri has been Kyle Walker. I think that when it comes Mm. to counter-attacks, I think Kyle is is central to defending counter-attacks. I think that his pace, his athleticism, his physicality, his ability to get up and down, his, you know, it's just... I I can't... I've lost count of the number of times this season that... um, Kyle has come out of nowhere and cleaned something up. And I think that uh, Rodri, for me, is probably more of a miss going forward in terms of being that deep-lying playmaker. But I would argue that Kyle being back in training and potentially being back in contention for Arsenal is as big, if not bigger, than Rodri being available. I completely go along with that. I think it's a great shout-out, particularly when you look at the kind of pace and kind of threat that Arsenal pose with Saka and, and the like. So, um, and Lacazette as well, who I believe is a really underrated player. So, yeah, completely go along with that. If, if you look at the Brentford game, the majority of our, t- our attack was coming down our left-hand side. And and whilst De Bruyne's um, an assist came from the right-hand side, Jesus, for a lot of the time, sitting that first half, was just on his own on there. There was nothing going down our right hand side, which is where Walker would normally be. So mm. yeah, I, 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 but it, I mean that's Walker I, again, a hugely underrated player, um, and, and in terms of the impact that that, that, that he can have, I, I don't think we. I agree with Aiton. I don't think we miss Rodri as much as people might might suggest. Um, but but uh, yeah, players like Walker are unique. They offer something that no other player in the squad c- can offer. So if he's back and ready to play, out, yeah, he'll be a welcome return to the first eleven. Well, if he is back, that would mean Cancelo moving over to the left. If indeed he does start, because um, the very disturbing developments last night came to light where he was burgled um, whilst in the house with his family um, and he was assaulted. Um, Aysan, I know this is an impossible one to answer, but just from your perspective, do, if you're Pep Guardiola, um, obviously you're going to have a discussion with Cancelo, but you have no idea on the psychological impact that's going to have what, mm. 24 hours, 48 hours later, are you? I think with, uh, bottom line, the player decides. Yeah. You know, I think that, I think as soon as you, as soon as you begin to, to, or, or as soon as you are talking not about a physical injury, but you're talking about something like that, whether it be Kyle and um, the passing of his his good friend and his agent, or you've got Cancelo being robbed last night, I think that in situations like that, it's down to the player. It's up. It's basically down to Pep to ask them whether they want to be involved, and if they want to be involved, then you should involve them. And equally, if they feel they don't want to be involved, you. You shouldn't involve them. It's really a terrible. It's just, mm. you know, I, I cannot begin to imagine how terrifying it must be to have four fellas basically violently rob 
you in front of your your wife and your young child. I mean, that, just, that, just to come that, into your home. I mean, you know, your safe space, basically. Yeah, yeah, it, it is. It's unimaginable. Um, and you know, every single city fan out there is there for you, Cancelo. You know, we're kind of supporting you because that's what we do. It's it's a horrible thing to happen, and it's becoming increasingly commonplace as well in football as well, where football is being targeted. Um, we've seen it with obviously Arsenal players, and um, whilst out driving, um, we've seen it with um, who was the defender recently who uh, was followed back to his house in the, uh, with a baseball bat in the garage, Gabriel. Yes, at Arsenal. Yeah, so it, it's becoming complex now. It's it is disturbing indeed. Um, I think uh, having seen having seen Cancelo's post where he, he posted a photo of himself as well. I, I don't know. I, it's hard to say because because people are so public about their things on social media. But the fact that he's posted about it and been quite forthright in the way he's, he's spoken mm. about them, I, I suggest he's probably okay. But what he probably is, is angry. And, mm. and it's whether or not he wants to get back to normality as quickly as possible um, and wants to travel. Um, and leave his family uh, for, as well. Think yeah, his, his do you fam- leave yeah, your family? You know, do you bring them with yeah, you? Yeah, or the family bring them with him, or the or, or the city, you know, city staff are there. It's yeah. I mean, wasn't there one? Maybe I can't remember if this is right, but wasn't there a player? Was it maybe in Germany recently who was tied up? Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Was, do, yeah. I can't remember I, who I can't it remember was. The details, but it was yeah. Yeah, but but there's a there's a worrying spate, is't there? I mean, yeah. like, this pattern. I mean, is, is it just a series of one-offs, or is there a pattern? Of of players starting to be attacked and burgled in their own homes, it's yeah, it's a shocking turn of events and traumatic for children if they have to witness any of that. I saw a video the other day. Um, I think it's called Ch- Chicken Shop Dates or something. There's some kind of comedian and she interviews footballers and and what and goes on a pretend date with them. Uh, I think she's done with Bernardo Silva as well, but she was doing one with John Stones and she said, "Do you like dogs?" And he said, "Yeah, I love dogs. I've got a dog." Oh, what's his name? Straight away, the shutters came down. John Stones straight away, you know, no, I can't give out the name of my dog. Yeah. Um, and that just so depressed me, you know. It's, yeah. He's right to. He's absolutely right to. He gave a false name in the end as a joke. Um, but so depressing all the same that he, that he has to think along those lines. Mm-hmm. Um, okay, let's move back to the kind of Arsenal game. And should Cancelo start on the left and Walker on the right? Um, more than happy with that, of course. Midfield. Um, Aysan, are you anticipating many changes from the Brentford lineup? I mean, it's difficult because I didn't think that Ferner would play in Brentford and uh, he played 90 and this would be a third game this week if if he were to start that. But equally, I fully expect him to start the game. So, yeah, I mean, if I'm, if I'm looking at it right now, I would expect it to be Ferner. I'm going to say Ferner, Bernardo, KDB. No. Gundo. It's just hard to see yeah, Gundo, it. Bernardo, and KDB not playing, um, which means that maybe Phil won't get a game. Yeah, maybe maybe it'll be KDB in the false nine, uh, Bernardo, Ferner, Gundo as the midfield three, and Raz and Mares come back. I expect I fully expect Raz and Mares to come back in. I don't think uh, I don't think Grealish uh, did enough midweek to put himself in contention for Arsenal. Um. Yeah, I, I was impressed with Grealish as regards to his ball retention. I did like the fact that he basically, you know, didn't give a ball away. And that was what he was there for. So, um, yeah, it is a difficult one. Uh, Chris, how do you feel about it? I do wonder how Arsenal will come out for this because um, if they, 
I really hope they attempt to play that progressive football that they've been playing recently. But but I don't know whether they will. I don't know whether they'll they'll kind of take a pragmatic approach and be and maybe play from a lower block. And I know Arteta's not going to be there either because he's because he's got COVID. How big a factor um, is that, sorry, Chris? Arteta? I think I, I think it can be a factor because because you know Arteta, you know, he's coming across as a reasonably intelligent coach and he's able to manage games during the ninety minutes. A lot of managers are incapable of doing that. They have a game plan. If it doesn't work, they're screwed for the next ninety minutes. Um, I, th- I think it will ha- have an impact. Just going back to the midfield, I I think there's a chance it might be Gundo rather than Furnace, simply because mm. if if it is if it is two f- footballing teams coming together, going toe to toe, control of the midfield is going to be so important, particularly p- possession of the ball. And I think that Ferner offers certain attributes, but Gundo offers that pauser in terms of get the ball and he gives the ball. He knows when to do, he knows when to slow the game down, he knows when to increase the pace of the game. So I do wonder whether he will go Gundogan as, as, as the holding pivot. I'm, I'm not sure, but I do think a lot of it will depend on, as I say, how Arsenal kind of um, set out. And it's funny, in terms, I, I agree with what they said, I think we'll see Raz and Mahrez come. Yeah. Um, Straight, straight in again. Um, although you know, Foden really what you know, I thought had a good game. I'm, you know, I'm still, I'm, I'm very patient with Grealish because I know that any decent player coming into Pep's system needs twelve months to, to to get through it. I saw, I saw Grealish with a lot of the ball. I saw Grealish not give the ball away, but I didn't see him do because he slows the pace of the game down. So he gets the ball, he gets the ball, he keeps the ball. He's immediately got a man in front of him and then the team then becomes static because there's no movement, you know, simply because he, they're waiting to see what happens with him. And I didn't see I didn't see him beat a man one-to-one. He went across a few, but I didn't see him beat a man effective. So I wasn't sure about Grealish against Brentford um, and I don't think he necessarily merits being selected for, for, uh, for the Arsenal game. Okay, I mean, it's a slight disagreement with myself, only because I saw it somewhere that Pep basically just said to him, you're the best player at you know, keeping in possession in the Premier League, just do so tonight, just don't lose the ball. So yeah, he was basically so. instructed yeah. to play it safe. Um, yeah. And I think, he, you know, but then again, he did play it safe. So, yeah, it's a hard one to call. Okay. It's a fair, it's a fair, it's, it's a fair point, that's Steve. It's like, players at City don't go rogue. Do they? Because Guardiola gives them very clear instructions in mm. the remit. So, so what what Grealish was doing was what he was told to do, and he stayed on the pitch. So clearly, he is fulfilling what Guardiola's intentions are for him. So, hey, what what do I know? Like, you know, Guardiola knows better, knows better than I do. But I'm I'm still I'm still convinced that this time next season we will see a different Grealish. Oh, I, I completely agree with that. Absolutely. Um, a sound score prediction. Yeah, I feel I feel good about this. I'm gonna go three one city. Yes. Love it. Chris, same optimism? Yeah, I'm gonna go three nil city. <laughs> hey! Clean shooting. Clean shooting. Love it. Clean shooting for the new year. We'll love it. I'm gonna go more conservative two one city. I think it's gonna be I think it's gonna be a real crack at this actually. But uh yeah, two one city. Maybe a bit of drama. I can see a miss pen, but I'm not Mr. Meg, so let's see. Um, okay, let's move on to the awards then. Uh, Woo! Hey, <laughs> party poppers out the works. Um, there's only one place to start, which is player of the year. Um, I've put some nominees up. If you disagree with him, please let me know, guys. But 
how it'll work basically is I'll mention the nominees and and of course any inclusions you want included and we'll all have a pick and if it's if two of us go for the same player he's won um, excellent yeah KDB's not in our list of nominations for player of the year uh, let's start with that Asan am I wrong to admit KDB no I think they've been better players than him in 2021 for C fair enough and those players are da, 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 da. okay, Gundogan, Rodri, Cancelo, Ruben Diaz, Bernardo Silva. Over to you, Chris. Are those five who do you believe to be the best City player of twenty twenty one? Oh God! Right. First of all, you know you both know how I hate awards. So, <laughs> <laughs> unless you're winning them, yes. Unless, of course, unless I win them, then they're probably legitimate and they're a genuine acknowledgement of my of what I've achieved. Um, and also, we've just talked at length about the the the, the whole being greater than the sum of the parts. So, so to individually identify, <laughs> play. but what I would say is, I, I whenever I'm looking at like quote players in a season, I always try to avoid the, the ones who've generated fireworks, right? So I don't go right Salah because he does. This. I, I go okay, consistency over a period of time and impact and how they have changed that team. So. Gundogan, I thought, I, I, I think has stepped up a level, but 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 I, but I, I think he was better uh, last season. So of the players of there that, that I think have really added something and maintained it, I would say it's Diaz because he came in last season and he brought something that was clearly missing. He did it incredibly quickly. You think about the way he adapted to the Premier League and to City's system so quickly. He maintained it through the entirety of the season. And he hasn't missed a beat going into this season. We've had a couple of, you know, at times conceding against Palace, conceding against Leicester. But genuinely, he's brought a new dimension. He, he, he's filled a, a huge hole that Vincent Company left. And he's maintained it. And he's only going to get better as well. Yeah. So if I would say in terms of contribution to the whole, my player this season is Diaz. Okay. Asa? Yeah, I mean, for me, it's obviously Diaz. Uh, I hate to be boring, but I think that if you want to talk about consistency, Ruben Diaz has been the most consistent. I think that Jao has had huge moments. Bernardo has had huge moments. Rodri has had huge moments. But all three of those players have also had dips. Whereas with Ruben, it's just been pure consistency in 2021. I was going to jump in um, after you, Chris, and say my, my player choice. And I thought, well, I can't say it because it's Diaz. And so then I'll be going over to Aysan and then, you know, I've ru- ruined any drama, you know. Uh, <laughs> it's a clean sweep with Ruben Diaz. It has to be Ruben Diaz. He has just transformed our defence. He has transformed half of our kind of whole kind of remit. Um, he's been sensational. And I, I feel safe with him in, in defence. You know, I feel secure knowing he's there. He is a true leader and an organiser. And he just gives us so much that we previously lacked. So Ruben Diaz is 9320's player of 2021. Young player of the year. Um, there's only three nominees. And it's kind of maybe less drama of this one too. Um, it's Phil Foden, Cole Palmer or Ferran Torres. I'll start by just saying Cole Palmer is going to be a superstar. But it has to be Phil for me. Um, Chris, of the three, who would you go for? Yeah, uh, it's Foden. Uh, you know, I mean, I mean, I'm kind of surprised Foden wasn't in your Players of the Season nominee. Yes, um, that's a good show. Yeah, but but I, I and Cole, you know, if we were doing um, 
uh, most promising newcomer. It would be Palmer. Yeah. Um, but but yeah, Foden. He he just. He, I don't even see him as young, a young player anymore. Yeah. Um, I, 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 I have to double I, check. I he's twenty-one still. Yeah, he's become so instrumental. And I've said this before, and I'll say it again. Foden's career development at City is one of Guardiola's masterclasses in player management mm. because he resisted all the calls to put him to put him out on loan somewhere, and the way he's managed expectations that Foden Foden owes Foden is an exceptional talent. But he owes a huge debt of gratitude to the way Guardiola has has managed him through the the the, the, the last two seasons, and I'm so excited for the next four or five seasons with Foden of what we're going to get from him. So yeah, I categorically young player of the year is, is Phil Foden. Okay, um, Asan, um, firstly you know. you'll <laughs> you, know. you know. Well, okay, let's let's say it's a clean sweep for Phil then. Um, a word from yourself on Ferran Torres and the recent sale to Barcelona. How do you feel? Because you haven't been on uh, a pod in the last couple of weeks to, to discuss it. No, I haven't. I I, I was you know. I was I was quite loud in the fact that I didn't like it ten days ago, two weeks ago. Um, but the weird thing is that I kind of believe. For me, it's not really about the idea that I think it's. Yeah, I think it it makes a really nice headline for Guardiola to say, "I don't want players who don't want to be here." And he came and he said, "Can I leave?" And I said, "Leave." Right. Mm. That makes a great soundbite. But I think what has made it really what makes it way more logical for me is the emergence of Cole Palmer. And it's something that I almost, I almost wanted to separate the two things as issues two weeks ago. I wanted to be like, well, yeah, but Cole Palmer's already part of the squad and you're still weakening it by, by letting Torres go. And, and what I've come to terms with is we have doubled our money and in doubling our money, we also have cleared a pathway for a player who. I think has has the potential to be at least as good as Ferran Torres and also a player who is so talented. And because he's English, if he doesn't get games, he will get bought and he will go somewhere else. And and so for me, the idea of do you develop a young Spanish lad or do you develop a young English lad? I'm going to lean towards Palmer because he's equally as talented as Torres. So yeah, it's just, I, I guess I, for me, my opinion has shifted over the last couple of weeks. Um, as I've begun to rationalise it rather than kind of emotionally kick out at the idea of doing Barcelona a favour. Yeah. I've got to say, I love the tweet that Barcelona put out when they signed Torres um, saying that he's another dream teen. Um, he's 21. <laughs> that tickled me somewhat. <laughs> uh, okay, up to the performance of the season. Some crackers here. Um, four choices to pick from. Um, Liverpool won, Manchester City four last towards the end of last season. Um, PSG won Manchester City 2 um, again towards the end of last season in Champions League City's 1-0 win at Chelsea earlier this season and City's 7-0 deconstruction of Bielsa's leads uh, recently um, I'll start with you again Chris are those four which stand out for you as the most impressive performance PSG right okay I don't, I don't have to think about it <laughs> okay. Leeds Leeds is too easy. Chelsea, it was a fantastic performance of control. And I thought when we beat Liverpool, I thought they were still kind of slightly a busted flush by that point and we capitalised superbly. The PSG, both legs of PSG in the Champions League took us to another level in that the way we controlled and managed the game, the way the way that we nullified the threat of that front three and and the calmness with which we eased through 
to, to the final is is those games against PSG, particularly that one though, was just was it was just it, it was a culmination of so much that had been brewing last season. So yeah, the PSG one for me was the one my performance and the one I enjoyed the most as well because it just took us to that next level that had been waiting for us to do in Europe. We we've got a difference of opinion for the first time. I, it, it was close, I have to say, between PSG and this one, but I've gone for the Anfield win. Um, just kind of you know got rid of so many ghosts um, and we were so so good that day um, hey Sam which would you go for so I'm going to make this even more complicated for you because I actually think that the the Chelsea the Chelsea one okay. is, is, the, is the most impressive of 2021 I think that when I look at PSG um, they're not a team they're not a collective uh, they're 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 a collection of individuals uh, who are badly motivated, badly coached. It just it's you know b- beating them over t- particularly over over two legs is is not as difficult as it sounds for me. Um, I kind of agree with Chris that the Liverpool City game was a little bit of a you know nothing riding on it type of game, and so it was impressive. In for all the reasons that you state, but it's not important. Mm. The Chelsea performance, considering that Chelsea were the team to beat, had one hand on the title, were the things that people said in September about Chelsea were utterly outrageous. Yeah, <laughs> I was and I remember, <laughs> and I remember at the time. I, I'm a person who generally I bristle when I feel our own supporters don't respect what we are. And to me, was massively disrespectful for City fans to be talking about Chelsea are the team to beat when we're the fucking champions, yeah? And so I was looking at that game as, this is where you put a marker down, boys. This is where you go, how good are we compared to the team to beat? And the fact that we went there and it was the most comprehensive of one nils that you could ever imagine. I don't remember Chelsea having a sniff in that game. So for me, that was the game. I think we're going to have to chuck this over to Twitter, you know. There's three brilliant performances there. I actually You know what? Having listened to both of you, I do feel that I have got the lesser of the three. Um, but I don't want to be the arbitrator here. I don't want to be the one to choose between PSG and Chelsea. <laughs> I, I think t- so. Let's let's take Liverpool City out of the equation. PSG or Chelsea? We'll put it up on Twitter later, and you guys listening, you know, vote for the performance of the year. Um, which yeah, you- but, but it's really Asan does this every time when I'm on with him. I, I was fully, <laughs> I was fully committed to that, and then he says something and he brings it, and I thought, oh, do you know what? The bastard's got a point. Yeah. That's a new that Chelsea game. <laughs> It was, it was, so, it was but I'm gonna. I mean, what I'd say, Steve, is I fully, I fully understand why you went with Liverpool City because it was, it was probably the most satisfying performance yes. of the season because we just buried them, we embarrassed them, and it should be five-one um, as well. Yeah, and I, I, I think maybe, and and Aitan's right that PSG are not, and they're not a collective. They're they're a series of individuals. I think for me, I was thinking longer term, strategically. Now we've beaten PSG in the semi final. Maybe it's more about the semi final than it was about PSG. Mm. But that was. But I do. I think. I think that against Chelsea, 
Chelsea set up in a with a low block. The very fact they set up with that was was symptomatic of how they viewed us as, as the champions, and it didn't work out. And it didn't work out for them. But now I'm going to stay with PSG. It was simply just I just thought that I just thought that City just had just grew bigger balls against PSG, and mm. we did it. We did it in the semi final. And it, for me, I was thinking longer term that victory against PSG. Will really pay dividends this season when we when we get to the latter stages of the Champions League. Okay, well we'll put up on Twitter later and everyone has a vote and performance of the year awaits. Which leaves us with a nice one, really, just a, a bonus surprise of the bonus surprise of the year. Um, nominees for this is Cancelo for his overall. I wouldn't say transformation because you know he. he, he he was good to begin with, but I think he's really moved up a level now to the extent where he's one of our kind of top five performing players consistently. Um, so Cancelo has been a massive surprise for me in 2021. Uh, Gundo's goal scoring, nine goals in nine at the start this year, including some very important goals against Chelsea, Spurs, two Anfield in that aforementioned 4-1 win. Um, and Gabby on the right. Um, it's kind of faded a bit this one but certainly at the start of the season I think we're all taken aback by how good Gabby was on, on the right hand side so Aysen I'll start with you this time of the three which has surprised you the most Big Jao Cancelo yes I think his, his, I mean you could have to be fair you could have put Rodri in this category as well Yeah, it would be very difficult to separate those two um, particularly I think I guess the, the, the thing that puts Cancelo in there is that I feel as though his impact in an attacking sense this season, particularly the first third, is key, has been key to the success that we've had. Um, and I just think in terms of the the biggest raising of a level from what we thought or what I thought Cancelo could or couldn't do at City, I've got to go with Joe. Yep, I'm completely with you. Which sorry to take any drama out of this, but and I think given what's happened in the last 24 hours as well, it, it's kind of nice to doff our caps to an outstanding footballer. And I knew he was good. I didn't know he was outstanding. Um, Chris, uh, what's, what's your kind of biggest surprise of this year? Yeah, it's Rocky three all the way. And without making light of it, he, looking at the picture he posted with the cut above his eye, mm. he looks even more like Rocky. Yeah. So, you know, because like his cut, you know, but no, he, he's just, he's, I've said it before, he's transcended the role of fullback um, and nobody can match him. And, and, and I just, and when you see a player playing with the confidence that he is playing with now, and he understands his position, his role in that team now, he's a joy to watch. But he's also instrumental in so many of our victories. So yeah, he was. He, you know, it was a big surprise. But even more surprising, and even more satisfying, is that it it, it wasn't a novelty. He's continuing that form yeah. throughout, and that's for me. Yeah, he's he's the one. He's he's just been what what a buy he's turned out to be. Well, that's a good way to end on that, and. I really enjoyed today. So, um, yeah, thank you very much, Asa. Pleasure, mate. Loved it. Thanks, Chris. Yeah, pleasure. Happy New Year to you, boys, and Happy New Year to all the listeners Absolutely. as well. Absolutely. Happy New Year, everyone, and thank you for everyone for listening in. That's a wrap for today. We're off to implore our football team to not be so consistently good because, wow, 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 it's just not fair. In the, <laughs> <laughs> in the meantime, take care of yourselves, everyone. Have a fabulous New Year. Be well. And forever up those piss-boiling blues. <laughs>